Everyone has a different spark on their faith journey. At Horizon, we want to be a place where you can explore that spark, maybe even fan it into flame. So today, we're standing downtown on historic West 4th Street in Cincinnati. Just across the street from the Duke Energy Center, just around the corner from PNG, because we're going into a place called the Aruna Project, a place that I didn't even know existed a few months ago. And we're going to meet Ryan and April Berg, which are actually two people you might have seen around Horizon, two people who are exploring that spark of faith to see what it might be that God has uniquely burdened them, uniquely positioned them to do to impact lives around the world right here from Cincinnati. It's a big project that started with a small spark. So let's go inside and meet them. So here we are inside the Aruna Project with our friends Ryan and April. And guys, I told them a little bit about how you've kind of had a spark in your journey of faith and taken on kind of this really cool project that has some global impact coming right here in Cincinnati. But I didn't really tell them what the Aruna Project is. So could you just share with us what is the Aruna Project? Yeah, welcome to Aruna. Aruna Project's an impact-driven athleisure brand that brings and sustains freedom to women who had been rescued from sex trafficking, both in India as well as locally. And, and Aruna is actually, a, it's a Hindi word that means bright morning sun. And in many ways, that's, it's a metaphor for what we hope to be true for the women, that there's essentially the, a new dawning to a new day as they step out of slavery and into freedom. And so we, we actually took the, the best of nonprofit and the best of for-profit and brought it together to actually try and create a sustainable solution for the women. Instead of just seeing them freed, we wanted to ensure that they were actually freed for lifelong freedom. So it wasn't just a, a one moment of, of freedom and then you know, being re-trafficked, but essentially we were trying to create a system where they could actually remain freed for the rest of their days. And in many ways, that's tied to what they actually do. It's tied to why we're here with, with some of the products. That's really interesting to me because when you and I first met and I heard a little bit about what you guys were doing, I'm like, oh, that is so cool because I think that is a often like underground, kind of in the darkness. We don't think about it, but massive issue in the world, right? And there was just something that was on my heart about that. So I jump on the website. I'm like, I want to see what they're doing. And it's all these really cool bags and hairbands and things like that. And I was like, you know, when I picture you get someone out of human trafficking, what really helps? It's like guns blazing and break the doors down and dragging people out and you know probably I watched too many movies I don't know but but it got me asking that question like how does this become part of making sure that when you bring them out they stay free like can you tell us a little bit about those products and how that's a part of kind of the whole picture yeah, so the sustainability happens when they come out. We provide training and all of that, um, moving into our freedom business, transitional housing and all of that. So they're fully removed from the area they just came from. And so we created athleisure products because the market um, here in the U.S. Um, is so ripe for that and doing really well. And so we have bags. And so it all is designed and made for the U.S. market. 
However, um, we have created our own touch points, um, even down to the tags. You know um, the woman who created it in Freedom. Um, so we always bring it down to even for one um, because she's created and worthy for fighting for it. And so a woman like Phyros, and then it has a quote of what the freedom means to her. Um, and so even on the inside of the bags, um, every liner it has the artisan that um, all of the artisans who work in our freedom business. Fire, yeah, that's really cool. Yeah, mm -hmm. so we have those little touch points so that everyone who's purchasing a product is part of the freedom story yeah. themselves. Yeah, so I I love that. And there was something that I was I'm going to share you something that I read out of the Bible a couple of months ago because. As I read this, it got me thinking about you guys. And it, it's from this place in Isaiah, it's chapter 58, where there's this kind of really strange thing that happens, that God looks at his people and they say, hey, we're doing all the religious stuff, like you said, you know, fast, like skip food for a while and think about God, and you said, you know, go to church and do all, and we're doing that stuff, so shouldn't God be happy? And, and it got me thinking about kind of my own my own spiritual journey where a lot of, uh, if I'm just honest, it, a lot of it was self-centered, right? Like, if hell is real, I don't want to go there, so sure, I'll believe it. And then as long as I go to church once in a while, like, God should be good with that, right? And he kind of breaks into that moment and says, hey, there's all this religious activity that you think is great and good. But then he says, isn't this what I actually want? And this is what he describes. To loose the bonds of wickedness, to undo the heavy burdens to let the oppressed go free and that you break every yoke? Is it not to share your bread with the hungry and that you bring to your house the poor who are cast out? When you see the naked, that you cover him and not hide yourself from your own flesh. And as I read that, especially that line, isn't what God really wants is to let the oppressed go free? I thought of the women that you guys are talking about in India and even here in Cincinnati where you say, if we can develop this thing, we can actually do that. We can let the oppressed go free. So um, my family has bought a few of these things, so we could probably talk about product all day. But why don't we go grab a seat, because I'd love to hear more about kind of the Aruna story, but also your stories and what it's like to try to engage with God about something really that drastic in your own lives. So in thinking about Aruna's story and your stories, I know as we've kind of talked a little bit about this, that your faith and your understanding of God is kind of all woven together in that. So tell me, tell us, if you would, what sparked you to start something like the Aruna Project? Yeah, sure. We, uh, so I was headed to India for work, and about three weeks before that trip, I saw on CNN a little ticker line that made reference to 12 minors, 12 children being rescued from a brothel. And at that point, I, I had never even heard of sex trafficking. I didn't know that it existed, uh, certainly didn't know that it existed to the scale that it does today. 
And, and I remember being kind of floored by that. And so I, I you know, Googled and started researching and, and realized the very place that I was headed to was a significant destination location for sex trafficking. And, and, I, and I told April, I said, well, when I get there, I'm gonna, I'm gonna find this. Because I, if, if this is happening, somebody's gotta do something. And, and it just so happened that I, I had kind of worked it out into some of the, the schedule for our time and worked it out in between some meetings to be able to actually try and find where this place was and found this particular red light area, went into this particular brothel. And as soon as I stepped in, it was the middle of the afternoon, but as soon as I stepped in, I mean, just the smell of stale urine kind of knocked me back a step. And as my eyes were adjusting to the dark, there was, there was movement all around. There were just massive rats everywhere. And, and I made my way to this staircase and I started up these stairs. And about midway up the stairs, I could start to hear the sound of abuse, uh, you know, just echoing off the walls. And, and I got to the top of that staircase and it just opened into this long corridor where literally there were just woman, women just lined up in front of these little closet-sized rooms with nothing more than just a mattress and a pull curtain. And I was so naive. I, didn't, I had never seen anything like it before. I didn't know what to say. I didn't know what to do. But, but my heart just ached. I thought, this is wrong. You know, that something has to be done. And so I, you know, I tried to, to talk about hope. Uh, but if I could be honest, hope, hope just simply doesn't exist in that place. It's, it's a place of despair, it's a place of slavery and abuse and violence. And, and, and I stepped out onto the street after trying to engage with a couple of these women and, and honestly, I just, I wept. I had never seen slavery face to face like that. And throughout the course of that week, I couldn't, I couldn't shake some of the images of the, of the women, some of their faces. And there were two comments that also really stuck with me. There was one from a woman in an organization that was trying to do some work there to help the women. And she said, Ryan, if there's any hope for these women, it's got to come from the outside. They're not going to be able to free themselves. And then the second comment was just, you know, generally speaking, this pimp had made reference to the fact, he said that you do-gooders show up a day late and leave a day early. And I thought, this guy literally has the audacity to boast that people aren't going to challenge him in what he's doing. And he's literally banking on the fact that people aren't going to come back and try and bring about change. And so when I got back from that trip, April and I, you know, I was, I was, I was pretty broken by it. And we spent a lot of time, you know, like you, like you referenced, just praying and saying, what do we do about this? We can't walk away from this. We've got to do something. And so we went back to the area and we actually embedded in that area for a number of months and did a significant amount of research to just simply try and understand the issue. And so we met with, with uh, people from the government, from NGOs, from women in the area, and we asked a thousand questions, mission, vision, values, methods, constraints, anything we could just to try and get our arms around what was happening and why was it happening and what are the solutions. And one of the most staggering statistics that we found out of these, the massive amounts of women that were being trafficked and the small amount that were actually being set free, of that small amount that were being set free, there was only 20% that were remaining free after a period of time. In other words, over 80% were being re-trafficked. And we just thought there's, there's got to be a better solution. And so that sent us on a, on, a, on a real journey for us to try and figure out what is a really good model to create 
lifelong freedom for the sake of these women. And so that's essentially the, that, that moment kind of was the, the impetus to really start Aruna. And one of the things too is when you, when you hear about it, even when we first went over and experienced it and went back in and embedded in the area, it's one of those things where it's on a global scale. It, we often talk about human trafficking with the numbers and it just seems so huge. It's what can I do? How can we make a difference in these women's lives? But for us, it was one of those things we have to create something because each one of them is created in the image of God and they are worth fighting for. And it's even for one, we will do whatever we can even to just help one. And they all have a name and um, are worth it. And that is, I mean, that is, that's heavy, right? That's, that's really dark. And like you, you mentioned trying to speak hope there and like there's no hope there. Like I, I, even just listening to you guys, you know, probably people that are, are watching right now too feel like, yeah, I think you're right. I think there's no hope there. Um, but both of you just mentioned something just as you were telling your piece of that. You said, we, we prayed about it. Right, like we talked to God about it. Like, well, if God is who he says he is, if they are made in his image, which you brought up, if he cares about them eternally, then um, doesn't he want to do something about this too, right? Like that, that seems like if God is who he says he is, he'd, he'd be the right person to talk to, right? Um, you know, but I, I don't know about you guys. You know, I don't, I don't know about maybe you as you're watching this, but for me, that's one of the really intimidating things when I think about what does it mean to pick up the Bible and like we mentioned from Isaiah 58 to go farther than just like show up to church once in a while maybe give maybe don't I don't know mm -hmm. right is like what what is it actually like to talk to God and if I talk to God is he gonna make me go into brothels in India and try to rescue people and like I, I don't know I, you know what I mean like, that's some of the kinds of questions that I think I wrestle through is, and you have to think about that too, right? Is like, if God is real, if he's in control of the universe, if I have eternal value, right? And he cares about me, then one of the questions we kind of kick around at Horizon is, what might it be that I am uniquely burdened, uniquely positioned by God to do? But it can be intimidating. So as much as like I'm inspired by your story, I wonder kind of underneath that, because um, I think when I'm intimidated, I'm probably just thinking about it for myself. Well, I better go come up with some really amazing thing too, and then I'll, hopefully God likes that. But you've talked about it as if there's like a relational thing with God that you actually get to talk to him about. Is this for us? Is this for somebody else? What, what do we do? Or is what's going on in our lives? So Tell me a little bit more about kind of your own faith journey, your own experience with God, what, what that relationship is like you know, for you guys. Yeah, for me, um, when I was in elementary school, we actually had a devastating house fire. Um, and then a week after that, lost um, a family member due to cancer. Mm. And, um, you know, obviously a lot of devastation going on in the family. Um, and a pastor came and shared the love of God with my family. And it was that moment where um, knowing it, you know, for the first time in a personal way, um, that he is, um, he's faithful, 
you know, even when we have no faith. Um, and then also just, and then in my life, seeing that happen in a number of ways of him providing um, that I could trust him. And so, you know, speeding up the journey <laughs> into the future years, um, it's been one of those things where I've always clung to that, where he continues to be faithful and I can trust him. Um, and he always provides. And so even walking in and seeing other people and seeing the need and all of those types of things, it's God cares about them and he provides and he makes a way. And so I can trust him with the next thing. Um, and so that for me is, um, has always been kind of since that time. Yeah, I would say for me, um, it was in college. I was actually uh, playing athletics in college and had a, a career-ending injury. And it was interesting because the, up to that point, my identity was very much wrapped into athletics and performance. And right before the injury, there was a, there was a guy that came. He was, just, he was on campus. He was trying to share uh, the gospel, you know, that, that Jesus died and that he rose again and that I could be forgiven. He, he wanted to share the gospel with people. And he knocked on my door and he said, hey, uh, I heard you're a believer. You're reading your Bible. You're telling people about Jesus. And I started <laughs> laughing. I was like, no. I'm like, who told you that? They said, well, I was talking to your coach and your coach said that he thought you must be religious because you don't do some of the things that, you know, a typical college guy might do. And I was like, well, that's because I don't want it to affect the way I play. It has nothing to do with God. And uh, but he talked about God like he knew him. And it was so intriguing. And so met with him a few times and and he basically opened the Bible and he just talked to me about the God of the universe creating me, loving me, but, you know, that, that sin separated me and that, that he actually then sent Jesus to, to die in my place to forgive me of my sin. And I just thought, that's crazy. Who, why would he do that? Why would he love like that? And, and honestly, it just, in many ways, I felt like it just opened my eyes to a whole new reality. And from that point, it, my life was radically changed because of just that idea of, of grace, of forgiveness, of love. And in many ways, like April said, as you kind of fast forward the story, we've, we've basically just said, okay, we want our lives to, to really reflect that and to live in a way that, we are, that we're loving and, and extending as much grace and goodness to as many people as we possibly can to bring about change. And so... I feel like that's, that's really what sparked in many ways our, our launching of Aruna was because we've received God's love so graciously and extravagantly. Yeah. You know, just, just as you're saying that even, you know, I, I know, I won't tell my whole story, but <laughs> I know a lot of you share something similar where it's like maybe you'd been around religion or I, I grew up around church and kind of had this picture of like, you know, be a good boy and do the right things and, and whatever. And it just keeps reminding me of that, that Isaiah 58 piece where it's like, play the part and look religious and isn't that what I'm supposed to do? And same thing, like I didn't, I hadn't really, I don't know, like felt like, what is it like when I just have that relationship with God to know him personally and to start to understand his heart for people? And so then instead of being self-focused, it's like he starts to teach us, hey, what if you love others the way I love you? What if you forgive others the way God forgives you? And even just as you were talking, I'm thinking, okay, so Isaiah 58, set the oppressed free, like cover them. Like, isn't that, that's kind of the core message of the Bible, right? Is that that's what Jesus did for us. That God 
So I'm not putting you on the spot, but like you think about Ryan goes into a dark, hideous, smelly hallway. Why? Because he believes there's something wrong here and someone's got to do something about it. Like God leaves the throne of heaven and all the glory of angels singing and comes to dark, smelly planet Earth where I got problems that I'm causing on my own, let alone the things that other people are doing to me. Why? Because he sees a problem and he believes somebody ought to do something about it and he knows he's the only one who can, right? And so Christ offers us freedom. Like he sets, we were the oppressed and, and sometimes we don't even know it by the ways that we come up short of God's standard, by the ways, like I've said, you know, how, how I get stuck in selfishness or anger or hate or whatever it is. And he comes to set us free and to have that relationship with us. And then it's like you start to think, well, if that's what Jesus did for me, then it's no longer, how do I make it up to him? Or how do I prove to God that I'm a good person? Or it's like, well, I could be a part of that. So, so what do you want to do today, God? <laughs> you know? So as I think about how that kind of led you guys to Aruna, it starts to make more sense. Like, why would somebody take on such a heavy burden? But you're saying, like, you look at God, you look at Jesus, you say, he did that for me, we can do that for others because you believe that he's doing that for people, right? Because of their eternal value. And, and I'd encourage you, even as you're listening to this story, you know, maybe there's something that stirs in your heart, like, I've got to find out more about this place. You know, maybe God stirs something that is in your heart that, hey, I wonder if my company could do something like this or engage in some way. Maybe it's something totally different, like the three of us would never even think of. Maybe it's God just initiating some of those conversations with you about forgiveness, about the relationship you know, that he wants with you, just like I think he does with us, just like I think he does with all of the people that, that we're talking about right now whose lives are being changed. But there's also a lot of challenges to that. Right? There is the reality that you mentioned that if we set them free and we try to help and we don't have a sustainable plan, you know, I know when you and I were talking earlier, it's like people are living day to day. Like there's, there's food for today, but tomorrow I'll do whatever it takes to make sure I stay alive. So you actually have to think about down the road, right, for, for these people as well and what it looks like to actually be able to sustain this kind of um, business, really. So if people have eternal value and you want to really take care of them and so you got to make sure it's sustainable and then you hit stuff like 2020 where they can't even work anymore and just, I mean, like everything explodes yeah. all, all over the planet just like it did here. How do you make sure that the Aruna Project is sustainable so that they continue to have that freedom? Sure. Yeah, I mean, essentially what we tried to do is create a model where it's, it's almost like a flywheel of momentum. And so we, we refer to the nonprofit side as, as the, the part that brings freedom. The for-profit side is the part that sustains freedom. And so essentially what we did is we, we just a, a fun little story behind it is once we came back and we established this sort of model, we pitched it to some potential investors because we really wanted to try and get the, the business side up. And many of them said, you know, this is, this is way too high risk. It's, you know, we, we can't get behind this. Perhaps I was talking to the wrong investors. I don't know. Uh, but, and so what we ended up doing is deciding to, to actually create out a marketplace through the nonprofit. So we created all these events all across the U.S. We refer to them as Aruna Runs, where you run for a particular woman by name who's still enslaved. And the idea is you run for her freedom. 
And through the awareness, through the funds that get raised, those go into our training center that's in the heart of that red light area. And in that training center is where we're, we're actually helping the women learn employable skills. And we've got skill and trade development that's financially incentivized. We've got uh, meals that we're providing. We've got holistic care through trauma care and counseling. And all of that is to try and equip them with employable skills within the broader Indian market, especially within the textile industry. Uh, but many of them, once, once they start moving through that skills, they build trust with us, and then it, it becomes the freedom, the way that they step into freedom. And from there, then, we move them in and, and offer them the, a job opportunity within the freedom business. And that freedom business is about two hours away where we have transitional housing, we have the continued trauma care where they have, they're earning living wages, they have retirement, they have health care. We're essentially really trying to set them up with not just a job, but an, an actual career. And that it would then affect the lives of their children, the lives of siblings who are at risk for being trafficked, so that it would have a larger effect than just themselves, so that we can actually see a, a ripple effect uh, throughout the needs of, of those who are at risk for being trafficked, like siblings or children. And it's through that, that process that as those runs grow here in the U.S., we're able to, to get more money into the training center, be able to train up more women, free more women, get them into the business to produce more product, increase our production capacity, and then we start to market that product out here online, but then also through all of those runs, through the, the market that we've created. So the really cool touch point is when you run for a woman like, let's, let's say you run for Reshma, it could be that after you run for her in a matter of months, you can actually go and actually purchase a product that Reshma has helped to create. And you can see her name in that bag and say, I have helped bring her freedom. And that whole sort of flywheel process is it kind of builds out the momentum from the nonprofit to the for-profit. It allows us here then to actually start employing women who have been set free from trafficking here locally because as those, those needs start to increase for order fulfillment, um, we need to increase the amount of people that join our team. And so we've been able to do that. We've been able to hire uh, a young woman here just, just a few months ago as we've kind of built out the process uh, that has joined with us who was rescued from trafficking here locally. And so the sustainability is kind of tied up into the combination of that nonprofit and for-profit. I, I, th I think that's important. It, it probably starts to sound normal to you. <laughs> But what you just described, how, how everything essentially, you know, if you think about building a business, you're trying to build value, right? Like you're not building a business hoping it crashes and burns. Mm -hmm. <laughs> but for you guys, that the value comes in the people. More people, more freedom is like what it is built for, that everything goes back into that. And that it's easy for us, I think, for me, you know, maybe for you, to feel like that's stuff that happens on the other side of the planet. Right? Thankfully, here in the United States, I, I don't know, right? But to realize it does, but you just told us about the first person who's been freed here locally that's joined your team and knowing that, that there are others. I, I love that, that it's something that is like, like sometimes at Horizon we'll use language like here, near, and far for the way that God has impact on the world through us. So I would love um, if you could just, maybe even just tell us one of their stories, you know, somebody like you just described who was set free and is creating these products and, and experiencing that freedom. 
Yeah, sure. I could tell you a lot of stories um, with the artisans, but um, I will tell you Phyros' story. Um, remember the card that we saw? Oh, from the bag we looked yes, at. Yes, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, she was actually born in the brothels um, and slept under the bed of where her mother was abused daily. Um, and then she was raised up in that system and became um, a sex worker as well, um, just like her mother did, and endured for years. Um, and we were able to secure her freedom, and so she is in our freedom business. And um, we were doing a little program um, around Christmas time a couple years ago, and um, gathering the girls around and just asking them, so what have you been doing? And we didn't know at the time, but she had been saving her money up as she was working with us. Um, and she actually went in and um, purchased her mom out of that area. Now, little side note, um, we do not buy the women out when we go in and help them with all the programs. We do not ourselves do that. We do not fund the sure, issue at hand. Exactly. System, yeah. um, but Phyros did this on her on her own accord. Um, and so after securing her mom's freedom after a number of months, her mom actually went and helped secure two more women's freedom. And so you can just see with um, even one in that freedom sustainability, there it multiplies. And so um, it does incredible things in just the freedom of many. I mean, I wouldn't even have guess that that kind of thing is possible. That is incredible. Wow. I love that. <laughs> I'm sorry. I don't, I don't mean to like be emotional, but I just picture, I mean, that's real people. And to see that it, 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 it multiply, it spread like that. I mean, I, I know that's why we're kind of using this, this metaphor of the spark is because when you talk about that hallway, it's so dark. It's so dark. And when you tell that story, it's so light. Right? Like that, that hope that feels like at the front end, no, there's not. Oh, maybe there is, you know? So I, I gotta just give you like two more verses from Isaiah 58 that we haven't hit yet because I, and I think it totally speaks to that. Because right after that other part we read, all that stuff about setting the oppressed free, the next two verses say, then your light shall break forth like the morning. Your healing shall spring forth speedily and your righteousness shall go before you. The glory of the Lord shall be your rear guard. Like when you go do this stuff, when you do what God wants you to do, it's like it's saying that God has your back. And even in the darkest moments, his light can spring forth. Then you shall call and the Lord will answer. You shall cry and he will say, here I am. When we love the way God loved, when we set the oppressed free like he did for us, he's saying our light will spring forth like that story of Pharaoh's that you just shared. Multiple women affected by her now because of that. And that's really where it comes back to that relationship with God. That it's not just a bunch of good works that I'm trying to do that hopefully someday if he is real, like I won't be in too much trouble, <laughs> right? But that then in those moments we cry out and he says, here I am. So Ryan and April, thank you so much just for taking this time with us, for, for letting us hang out in your space and for sharing some of those stories. Can we just pray together now and, and pray for Aruna Project and uh, for what God might be doing in our own lives? God, in the name of Jesus, I, I just want to thank you that um, 
Lord, I know all of our stories are different. Every one of us might have a different moment that just feels too dark to find hope. So I just ask that you would bring your light into our darkness. That maybe even today would be the first time that, you know, some of us might understand what your love looks like for us, what your freedom could be for us. And Lord, I thank you for the way that the Aruna Project has had opportunities to spread your light, not only overseas, but even right here in Cincinnati. Lord, would you please just continue to take care of them, protect them, work through them. And Lord, if you've got something in mind for me, maybe something in mind for a man or a woman who's watching this today, would you help us just to get to know you better and begin to hear what that is? We'll thank you for all of that and praise you for all of that. In Jesus' name, amen.